Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hi, I'm Kim Salmon. I'd like to have a quick word about uh, public radio, particularly 3CR. The thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it. So when you listen to it, you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life. And 3CR being in the heart of Smith Street, Collingwood, is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about. If you'd like to uh, subscribe, the number is 94198377. You've been listening Let a man find himself in distinction from others, on top of two wheels with a chain at least in a poor country like Russia, and his vanity begins to swell, swell out like his tyres. In America, it takes an automobile to produce this effect. Leon Trotsky right sit up a little bit bring down the cadence take a bit of a breath now step away away from the bike you're listening to the Yarrabug radio show here on 3cr 855 am on the tranny in the kitchen podcasting or streaming many thanks to amy goodman and democracy now always good to catch up with what's happening in the states and Back on the uh, a tandem plus one today. Faith is back again. Faith, back. <laughs> Sorry, back again. <laughs> Pedalling hard. Pedalling hard. That's all right because I'm coasty at the wrist. <laughs> <laughs> now today we're going to have a really in-depth look at about how to ride forty-four hundred <laughs> kilometres and see a bit of the local scenery and wildlife and transverse uh, the whole of the North American continent. Lewis, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's a pleasure. <laughs> uh, and we'll be looking up with a few bit of news and events along the way about what's happening in um, infrastructure land in Melbourne cycling has been, hit, has been big in the last couple of months. And we'll touch on that as well as a few tips to riding the Tour Divide. Ah, Faith, you must have so many saved up bike moments. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. Two weeks up in uh, the snowy mountains in the middle of winter has uh, limited my bike moments a bit. But there was uh, a couple. I had some glorious days where it was like minus eight but beautifully sunny and staying in Jindabyne. Um, so not able to get up to Perisher every day just because of my son's training schedules. Um, 
so I hired a mountain bike because there's a, a lot of trails around the town um, and uh, around the Jindabyne Lake. Well, it's actually part of the dam. But, um, yeah, you can ride for miles there and on a, a really cold but sunny day, it's yeah. absolutely stunning. Beautiful um Big granite rocks and and you'd come out and all those sort of undulations you get around dams, yeah. um, with the beaches. But you're just oh, above yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'd come over a little crest and and all these sheep would scatter because they go through quite a few private properties. All these sheep would scatter in front of you and you're riding through all these big granite boulders. And uh, I started thinking I was I forgot. Oh damn, I've already forgotten her name. Is it Lee Craigie? That awesome. Mountain biker, and she always she um, narrates her rides in this lilting Scottish accent. <laughs> you were I could hear the accent in my mind, but I couldn't quite nail it myself. <laughs> you couldn't get that right accent. I, I just scared <laughs> sheep. <laughs> well, you got that part right. <laughs> oh, Lewis, have you got something to share with it? Um, I think just um, just being back on the bike and, and feeling healthy and stuff and strong and my hands don't go have stopped going tingly <laughs> while I ride and uh, um, yeah just just yeah just being back out there has really been really amazing. Uh, have, with not because um, we'll talk about this later. How how long do you reckon it takes you to recover? Obviously, four or five months, I would imagine. Or? Um, I'd say like back to completely a hundred percent, but I'm I'm feeling probably at about ninety five now and. 98 now and it's it's only about a month removed so not, uh, not too bad uh, um i ride uh, past the fitzroy swimming uh pool to uh work in the mornings and obviously um uh, sit there and wait in one of the longest pedestrian crossings in Melbourne. The, the second I, longest. I, the second longest. <laughs> I have been corrected many times on this and i'm sitting there waiting and this blur goes past me morning val Sarah Hammond, yeah. going hell for leather, <laughs> riding down Alexander Parade. I'm going, they just never stops. They just, yeah. They just can't sit up and just take it easy. It was very funny to watch. Obviously going about the same speed as the cars as well, too, which made it a bit better. Very funny. We should get on there. There's a lot of news happening around Melbourne as far as bicycle infrastructure going at the moment. Where we lead off, Moreland's put out a their new draft transport proposal. Yeah, so um, for anyone who's uh, working and living and travelling around Moreland, the Draft Moreland Integrated Transport Strategy is up for um, consultation and your feedback. And I guess the most significant thing about that um, is that feedback is due by the 17th of August. So you've got 10 days. And you will find it on the Moreland uh, Council webpage, which is... Easily yeah. done, and we'll, it's easy to make suggestions. We'll put a link up too. There's a lot in it, so it's not something we can whip through now, but um, definitely take a look at it if you're interested in... Um, I mean, it really is about getting more people using um, modes of transport other than private cars, um, and I guess that leads into the next bit of news. For joy, for joy, for joy, they'll be dancing in the streets <laughs> when somebody does something about Sydney Road. <laughs> So um, Transport for Victoria have developed concepts for improvements to Sydney Road. It's Sydney Road's been a big issue for a long time. I think Moreland councillors have been voting for over 10 years or more to get separated bike lanes on Sydney Road. Um, Vic Roads have been quite keen on getting something done about Sydney Road. 
the stumbling block has always been the local traders association because despite the research of, even about here in Australia that shows that encouraging pedestrians and cyclists will improve business they've been very worried about removing parking. Sydney Road's unusual in that it's a bit narrower than most other strip shopping centres, so um, that adds to the problem. But it's also unusual in that there's a huge amount of free parking available behind the shops, Mm. over 3,000 car parking spaces, which are underutilised most of the time. Anyway, so the Transport for Victoria have come up with a concept that looks like it's going to be accepted by local traders and it involves having separated bike lanes. Um, The separation will occur at the intersections and the areas between intersections will be clearway operating bike lanes. Mm. So um, there will always be a bike lane but there will be a much bigger bike lane during peak hours. Um, Clearways already operate on Sydney Road with people's cars being removed quite frequently. Mm. Um, So, and it it also means that the accessible tram stops can go in. And that's the the big thing that I think has forced. That's the driving force because that is not negotiable. That's going to happen. And if you look at High Street in Northcote, if you look at Victoria Street down here, if you look at Bridge Road, the super stops have. Yeah. Got to come in as far as an accessibility thing. Yeah, and and that's um, so. It's a question of how do you get as many people as possible being able to access Sydney Road. Yeah. Um, so we'll put a link up to that too. It's worth having a look at. Um, and you, there's also an article in the Age last week. Last week there uh, was yeah. one. And speaking about uh, how accessibility and. Uh, is starting to bring those things. The tram stops in Sydney Road is a perfect example. Um, Vienna and um, Austria started to close streets around um, uh, stop cars from coming near schools at the drop-off times. They've actually now it's starting to look like quality of air is impacting things, so they're starting to block the streets for those two hours before and after school. This is starting to become a bit of a trend with Hamburg banning diesel cars on roads. So it's we can scream sometimes about say, bike lanes on Sydney Mm. Road, but when something like putting in the tram stop comes along, all that disappears. Yeah. You know, it's going to change. And it's interesting, in Europe, you you have these cities doing that, and that's because of things each country signed up to with the EU about pollution years ago. And the trickle-down effect is that eventually you get these safe zones around school so kids can ride to school. Yep. We did... uh, I've done a couple of shows on this (laughs) while you were away. It's really quite fascinating that, I mean... I shouldn't go back in again, but England avoided making any regulations for air quality and they got dragged before the European High Court and told to do it and they still obfuscated for four or five years. Now we've got the Mayor of London putting emission yep. zones in to build somebody if the more emissions they have. Yep. Anyway, talking about cities, Melbourne City Council have got another discussion paper out this uh, in the last two weeks on how do we bill for road use. The idea that uh, the exercise, exercise on, on fuel doesn't equate all cars with electric cars coming in. So the idea of having transponders and cars and you pay for road usage as you use it. That's up on the Melbourne City Council website. I'd encourage you to go in there because it's open for feedback as well. 
And I won't go into detail about this because I'm sure Chris can fill you in next week um, in much greater detail. But on Saturday, uh, this weekend just gone, there was a rally for the Walmart Street Bridge Coalition and uh, Richard Wynne uh, attended and spoke at that rally and confirmed that the Victorian state government will be contributing $200,000 to a scoping study towards um, the building of a new bridge at Walmer Street. I believe that when it happens. <laughs> I've been hearing this since 1992. <clears throat> Actually, Peter Moore at Abbotsford Cycle started this in the 80s about Walmer yeah. Street Bridge. Is that longer it's... than Gip Street Steps? Oh, well, you know, there you go. Ah, <laughs> uh, Fred, ah. Uh, um, I'll get you to kick off. Okay. I'm, 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 my hands are not working too well as far as the buttons are concerned. And uh, <laughs> we'll uh, introduce our guest today then, Lewis Sador, who's um, just back now, maybe, well, um, it's a month since he finished the Tour Divide in the States, as Val mentioned, 4,400 kilometres of uh, riding, 50,000 metres of climbing. And uh, did it all in 15 days. An amazing feat. Well done, Lewis. Thank you. Spectacular. Yeah. I guess um, if we start at the beginning, at what, what, what day did you wake up and think, I might uh, have a go at that? Um, I think the, probably the turning point was um, just after finishing the Hunt 1000 in 2016. Um, I finished that. I rode most of that with uh, Ty Doman, and we were talking afterwards, and it just sort of seemed like the the next the next, step. next next challenge. <laughs> um, so, and and obviously, there's quite a few people from from Melbourne who've who've raced it before, and and just the way they talked about it, it always seemed like an incredible event. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I did it. It was it was incredible. So, reading your blog overlandarchive.com and a few other things uh, you seem to have a very methodical approach to preparing for it um was that some how long beforehand did you set that out and approach it um i mean i guess in a way you could say i've been preparing for it for two, two years yeah. because it's just it's really it's just it's what i love doing and so like i'm i'm out bike packing and riding every other weekend if if not more frequently and obviously uh, I, I work as a bike courier as well so I'm putting in like decent k's every day which is really good for conditioning my body but I did spend uh six months working with a coach Jess Douglas mm-hmm. um so since the start of the year up until the grand depart and um that was my first time working with a coach um and first time with structured training um, but that was a really incredible experience and definitely pushed me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was super strong, uh, obviously <laughs> it, it, it really paid off and it worked and it wasn't just like intervals and that sort of stuff as, but there was lots of like core workouts and, and, mm-hmm. and some running and stuff, which I enjoy anyways, but it was a, a really well-rounded approach because it's not just about being fast it's it's about having a strong and resilient body so a lot of the training was was working towards that as well yeah how many at the grand depart how many started uh 160 i think 160 yeah how many finished um i think about half that's a good number yeah uh, is it um just to remind listeners it's not a 
do you have to go a dead on other dedicated checkpoints but from checkpoint to checkpoint uh so there's it's um there's actually no checkpoints there's just a prescribed course yep um and you're given like the the gpx file uh which is like a line on a map and then you just have that on either on a garmin oh, yep. or your yep. phone or whatever and you just have to follow the the line yep. Um, and then we're all carrying GPS trackers as well, yep. and there's the the live tracking, so people it like it, it'll be seen if you go off course or you take a shortcut or anything like that. And I'm going to ask, what was the weather like in Canada when you leave? I'm trying to get an idea of the weather over that period of time. Yeah, so we were, we were quite fortunate the, the, with the first day at least. We had it was um, high teens and, and sunny, which I think is the first time it hasn't rained for the grander part in maybe five years. Um, so we were lucky there, but after, once we hit Montana, we hit, uh, a lot of cold and rain. It was below zero most mornings, uh, or around zero. And we hit, uh, I was snowed on, on a couple of passes. I was hailed on and we hit some, on some of the passes as well, there was there was still snow sitting like on the ground from winter. So there was a few bits where you'd have to get off and spend an hour or two hiking through snow yeah. um, to get and over the top of the pass. So, I th- and I'm not sure if you mentioned this, but just for the listeners, so this is riding from Banff down to Mexico. Yeah, so, yeah. so you start in Banff in Canada and you, you cross through Alberta and British Columbia, then into Montana, Idaho, Wyoming... Colorado, and then you finish through New Mexico to the to the border. Yeah, and do you? So it's a pretty spectacular country. Do you get to enjoy that aspect of it, or are you just solely focused on getting through? Oh no, absolutely enjoyed it. Um, I think because it is it is what I love. Like I was really I was really stressed in in the lead up uh, to it, and even like the morning of the grand depart, I was just. I had a bit of a cry in the, the parking lot where we started. I was just like that that nervous and, and stressed about it all. But as soon as we started riding, everything sort of melted away. And I was like, you look around and you're riding through the Flathead Valley, which is these like amazing, like sort of shark tooth peaks all around you. And it just, it all, all that stress just dissipated. And I was just like, this is incredible. This is, you know, this is what I love. This is, it's, I'm so privileged to be here. Um, and that, that didn't, that I didn't didn't lose that sense at all, and there was a few times really when I, I was I was hurting later in the race, and I was going to a few dark spots and and having a hard time, and it was really the incredible environment that that lifted me back up and reminded me what I was doing out there. So yeah, um, yeah, it was definitely a big part of it. And it's interesting you say that because it's, and I'm, I'm obviously it's 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 an amazing achievement and it must be very hard, but you made it look easy. <laughs> so, so it's to hear that you still, yeah, it's, um, and of course you did still have those challenges, but it's quite, I was just noticing how much hearing you say that, you know, about the dark spots and having to deal with that, um, it really seems to not really mirror what it looked like from the outside. Yeah. I, I mean, I think just, just through my general bikepacking experience, not, not just racing, but I mean, you always are going to have struggles where you're going up a tough climb or you're tired at the end of a long day or whatever. And I think I've through my experiences with that have just found a way to sort of reconcile those, those tough moments, uh, with the enjoyment and the privilege of being out there. So even, 
even if I am having a dark moment or I'm having a hard time, I don't necessarily like let that get to me as, as, as much. And I think I found a good way to sort of to push through those moments. So even like I'm still having a hard time, but I can I can still sort of see through it and see the bigger picture of, of being out there in an incredible place. Yeah. You can't get too reflective when you're riding a bike, can you? No. <laughs> well, you, you, you know what I mean? You yeah. actually, if you get off the bike and sit down, yes, you can go to a really dark place. Yeah. But actually to be attuned to what you're doing and staying balanced and stable, is, it makes you stay in the real world a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And especially, so with the, the course, it's it's mostly off-road, so either like dirt roads, four-wheel drive yeah. tracks, that sort of thing. So a lot of the time you are really, you have to be really focused on just picking lines and stuff between not running into rocks and that yeah, sort of yeah, stuff, yeah. keeping yourself upright. So that really, uh, in a lot of the times, you can't zone out too much. Uh, yeah. Um, I think maybe if you're on on sealed road sections, um, obviously you can tune out a little bit more, yeah. um, just just because of the nature of the road surface. But uh, definitely keeps you on your toes, and yeah, you can't tune out too much. Now, all those K's, all those rocky roads. When the body, when you come back, which parts of the body hurt the most? Um, <laughs> I, I I'm actually was actually really fortunate and. Um, I think that focus in training of trying to strengthen my body really, really paid off because I, I didn't really have any pain. Um, I had a bit of tendonitis in my left Achilles, um, which, which has sort of more translated to, it was more a bit of swelling and a bit of lack of range of motion. And I, I didn't really actually experience too much pain there. Uh-huh. And then besides that, just a little bit of tingling in uh, a couple of the fingers on my left hand, yeah. so no real pain, which is which is incredible. And I I've been back to work um, within a week of of, of yeah. getting home. Um, but yeah, so really, like the Achilles are pretty good. Um, all that swelling's gone down. I'm still working on getting that range of motion back. So seeing a yeah. physio and and working through that. And besides that, it's just sort of a waiting game with with the hands. But they're almost back to back to hundred. I'm I'm asking this from a nerdy bike sort of thing. I mean, <laughs> obviously you're shifting gears a lot. Yep. And you can. I've met a lot of people have done say Paris Press Paris. Yeah. And from using the ergo, you know, the shifters uh, yep. for that far, their hands start to seize up just through the act of shifting. Yeah. You shifting your thumb shifters. Yeah, yeah. So flat bars on a mountain bike. Some people will run like a drop drop bar for to a divide. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I was running a, a flat mountain bike bar. Um, I didn't have any issues so much just with like general use, but there was a few moments where it was, my hands were so cold that I I, I struggled to shift. And so you end up like pulling your hand around and you having to force like your whole hand to, to to push the shifter. (laughs) Give me a stick. I should ask quickly, bike? Um, a giant XTC. So a cross country mountain bike uh, with a rigid fork. Rigid fork? Yep. Yep. Size of tires? Uh, 2.25 inch. I can't believe I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've, you've done a quick write-up of changes you'd make to your setup for if you were to do it again. Yep. Maybe uh, run us through some of those, what worked for you and what didn't. Yeah, I mean, overall, I was I was super happy with it. Um, I didn't really like the the light that I ran. Um, it, was, it, was, it was, it's a really neat little unit. It was a sine wave um, beacon. So it's a light... 
um, with the integrated USB charger. Sineway is a company that have been doing USB chargers for a while, and this is their first foray into lights. So it it was a really um, neat, clean setup. There's not not a whole lot of cables or anything going on there because it's all integrated, but it just didn't have enough kick to it. Um, And I've spoken, I've been speaking with Kerry of um, K-Light since I finished, and I'm going to be running uh, one of his new mountain bike lights, which I've just uh, set up and is probably like twice as bright. It's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Tour Divide, unsupported? Yep. How how, how much do you have to plan food? Um, So I, I... spent a lot of time pouring through the course beforehand um, and had a spreadsheet with all the information of like where towns were, how far apart they were, how much climbing was between them, what services were there, um, when stuff was open. And, you know, so some of the bigger towns, you get a 24-hour gas station. So, you know, it doesn't matter what time of day you pull in, you're going to be able to get something. There's other ones where, you know, they, they close it you know, 7 p.m. or something and don't open till 10 p. Uh, 10 a.m. So it's a pretty limited window and you have to hit it at the right time. So you have to be aware, like, when you're getting into a town, like, am I, like, not only preparing for the next 100K to the next town, but maybe am I going to hit that town in the right window and, and do, no, I need to, do I need yep. to get enough food to get maybe to the town beyond that as well? Um, so, yeah, but all self-support, so carrying all your own, like, camping gear sleeping gear um and then yeah like just you have to get as much food as you can and carry what you're going to need uh i didn't run out of food at all i know some people push push the limits of of carrying a bit um but i know that i eat a lot um I, i sort of chew through the calories so i was always carrying a lot and often i ended up getting to a town still carrying a lot of food uh but for me it was a it was a better decision to carry more than i needed than than uh-huh. risk not having enough and how much water on board um i carried uh two one liter bottles and a 700 ml bottle and then in a couple of the long dry stretches i added an extra one liter gatorade bottle which i taped uh, sort of strapped to my aero bar so it was 3.7 at the the most uh-huh. you had a rough idea of how many calories you had to put in at one end or oh, i think a day i was doing somewhere between 10 and ten thousand and thirteen thousand. And because sometimes you, some athletes you hear um, getting through the metabolizing that amount of calories yeah. causes like you know you have the nerve damage in your hands and that they end up with digestive issues. Did you have any of that or no? Not really. I've sort of always had a bit of a like a, a rock solid stomach, rock solid. <laughs> and so it, it didn't. I didn't actually have any any stomach issues at all. Like no queasiness during the race or anything like that, and and nothing afterwards. So yeah, I'm definitely. A bit, bit lucky there that I can just, just, just keep putting just the calories down and it. it goes down fine. Push it in at one end. <laughs> uh, mechanicals? Uh, yeah, I had a couple. Um, I pinch flatted the casing of my uh, rear tyre, so just coming down a rocky descent, and I'd sort of noticed that my tyres were, the pressures were getting a little bit low, and I was like, mm, I should probably stop and bump these up <laughs> at some point, and um, just hadn't got to it and yeah just smacked the rear wheel on on a on a rock and put two holes in it uh so i needed to put a diner plug in um to sort of fill the hole because it was quite substantial at the yeah. top the one on the side was just sealed up by the the tubeless sealant yeah uh and then i broke a spoke in colorado and had that re- replaced in salida and oh and then- <laughs> 
Then on the last day, I was um I was pumping up my tires, and uh, the bike fell over from the pole it was leaning on. It snapped the um the the valve stem. Um, so that was a bit of a nightmare then getting it off. Cause obviously there's that little lock yeah, yeah. Up holding it on. So forcing that off the, the bent valve and the bent threads, um, was a bit difficult, but I, I got it off eventually. And then just, just whacked the tube in for the last couple hundred Ks. You'd be pretty determined at that stage. <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> get yeah. going. Yeah. So, um, you're the most standout moment from the, the whole uh, 15 days for you. Oh, um, coming by the Grand Tetons uh, was pretty amazing. They're just like this incredible mountain range um, in Idaho or Wyoming, somewhere just like right on the border there. I don't know. I can't remember exactly which which state they were in, but there's yeah, right on the border. And um, there was there was an incredible moment. Um, I was sort of mentioning when I was having a tough time in Colorado. And I, I just crawled into my bivy at the end of a, a really hard day. I'd been, I was up at, at some high altitude. I'd been, it was the first time I'd sort of really got hit by, and felt like I was affected by the altitude and was have, having some trouble breathing and stuff. And uh, I just crawled into my bivy. I didn't even bother taking any of my, my rain gear off or anything. I just, just straight in. Um, but I sort of moment laying there before I passed out. And it was a really clear night with all these stars shining and just these wolves howling off in the distance. Yeah. And it was just incredible. It was after the, the end of a long, hard day. It was one of those moments that really reminded me why I was out there. It was really, it was really special. So that was pretty cool. Uh, you going to do it again? <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, th- I'm thinking about it. Um, it was a hesitation, slightly. <laughs> oh, I think maybe embarrassment that it was just... It feels a little silly but, um, <laughs> to, to go back after putting myself through that. But I mean, it was, it was incredible as well. So, um, I would like to, to better my time. <laughs> um, so yeah, maybe not definitely not next year, but maybe in a couple of years, I'll think about going back, but I am, I am thinking about other races, um, already that I'd like to go uh, and do, but some shorter ones. <laughs> it's standing the test of time, the tour divide too, isn't it? Actually? Yeah, absolutely. So amongst the, uh, all the endurance events. Yeah. So, so this year was actually the, the 20th anniversary of the route. Um, so the route is just, a, it's a touring route yep. that's put out by, um, the ACA, which is adventure cycling yep. America. That's- um, and they just have a bunch of touring routes. So that's down the Pacific coast and a bunch of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's been an incredible route. I think 15 years of racing it. Okay. Well, thanks very much, Lewis, for coming into the studio this morning. Um, as usual, we've run out of time yep. and, uh, I'll just, uh, if listeners want to check out some of your rides in the past, um, you do have a website, overlandarchive.com. That's correct. And there'll soon be a write-up of the Tour Divide. That is correct. <laughs> so uh, you can check that out. As usual, we'd like to thank our listeners and supporters for keeping 3CR and the Yarrabug radio show on the air. If you'd like to subscribe or make a donation, you can do that at 3cr.org.au or by dialing 94198377. Coming up next is... Jailbreak. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.